Hey, how's it, everybody? Congratulations to Uncle Walter Psyche for recently getting baptized into Christ and to being added to the list of the names in heaven. I just want to say congratulations to the Psyche Ohana, to the Mirshi Ohana, for just having that monumental experience to see a dad be baptized into Christ. And it's just so fitting to celebrate Father's Day weekend with a baptism and to, to realize that God is calling everybody through his spirit to be saved, to know Jesus, to be a part of the church, to be a part of the kingdom of God. But especially he's calling dads and he's calling fathers of this generation and the future generations as we raise up our kids to know who Jesus is and to be fathers themselves. I know it's a kind of a, it can be a hit or miss weekend. I know some of us don't have our dads anymore on this, on this earth and I know, I know some of us still have them, and it's maybe bittersweet for, uh, it's, well, it's bittersweet for all of us. And I, I just want to be able to just acknowledge that the dads that have come before us and dads that are still here today and the dads that are going to continue to be raised up in this, in this lifetime, like, man, God is, really, God is really raising up men, not only in the Wahoo Church, but really all over the world. He's calling men to just be a, a figure and a, and a model of, man, of, of godliness manhood so i just wanted to be able to say you know to my dad hey happy father's day dad you, you mean a lot to me you've taught me so much about what it means to work hard what it means to have integrity what it means to be humble uh, seeing you pray all those nights by the door just means so much to me more than you ever know but you know i'm a i'm a father as well recently i just had my second son okupu He's about four months years old. My oldest Kaliku boy is two years old. And I gotta just say, I, it, it's caused a lot of appreciation in my life for just the dads that have been prepping and doing things like this. Maybe just doing work in general and still raising up kids. It's a lot of work, bro. It's keeping me pretty, it, it's keeping me pretty occupied. And sometimes it's hard to even do my job if I was to be honest. But I do know that being able to raise my kids is, is just a blessing and it's a real honor and it's really my first ministry. And I just want to be able to, to just uh, say, you know, thank you to God for allowing me to be a father. Um, and you should thank God as well too, if you are a dad, if you have a dad, but really we want to, we want to spend today <clears throat> continuing in our series called the helper where there's a lot of emphasis being put, well, the only emphasis really is being put on the spirit of God and how he is a helper, a comforter, a source of guidance, uh, just, just a really, really God dwelling in us. It, you, you're not gonna go too far into the Old Testament until you start to realize that the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is a pretty main character. That same spirit, that was hovering over the waters in Genesis chapter one. It's the same spirit that God has sent to us in the New Testament church to be a dwelling place for his spirit. And you know, there's a, there's a lot of confusion today. There's, there's plenty of confusion about what the spirit is really all about. And just my personal opinion, we can kind of go on two sides of the spectrum. Either we 
are really conservative with the spirit. We don't really talk about him too much or we go on the opposite side of it and we get really enthusiastic about the, the, the Holy Spirit and things start to get a little bit uncertain. And man, is that really the spirit of God? Are we, are we really supposed to be babbling in these different kinds of languages and, and whatnot? But I think, I think there's a place where we can come together as God's church and be able to talk about the spirit of God and be educated and be... <clears throat> understand really um, a good balance of what the spirit was in, what the spirit uh, was intending to do for us today i'm going to be re- reading out of romans chapter 8 romans chapter 8 if you want to turn your bibles there that would be awesome starting in verse 1 therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but live according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh, but the mind governed by the Spirit, is life and peace. Excuse me. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 7. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, you're not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is what I want to focus in on today in verse 14 through 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. 
what an amazing passage we read about in Romans chapter 8. So much going on just in this passage. Here in Romans 8, you're going to see that in Christ, we have an amazing hope in a future glory shared with God. And on our way to this glory, we have an advocate, we have a helper, we have a guidance in the Spirit of God who leads us to a place where we are affirmed in knowing who we are in Christ. And this in turn helps us to know and to hold on to not only who we are in Christ, but what we are in Christ as we head to our future glory with God. Simply put, the Spirit is working extremely hard for us today. And that's what I want to be able to talk about today. I want to be able to nail down three different points that just emphasize this one point, that the Spirit is hard at work today to get us to a place where we can share an eternal future glory with God himself. This is an amazing passage, and I hope to just bring out some truths here in verses 14 through 17 to help us really dig down deep in appreciating and understanding and getting closer to the Spirit of God as we go through this life together, knowing and hoping that we have a future with God in heaven. Amen? The book of Romans, before I jump into these three different points, the book of Romans is simply amazing. And quite honestly, I feel a little bit um, unaccredited to be able to dive down deep into explaining everything going on in the book of Romans. I mean, seriously, this book is amazing. I remember when I was a young Christian, I read through this book three times because first of all, I was confused, but also I was really convicted and I was moved by the words Paul said in here. From chapter one to chapter eight, it's a continuous progression of Paul's thought of what he's trying to explain here. So you can go on your own time and read Romans 1 through 8 and get the full context if you want, but it's specifically focusing on verses 14 through 17. The immediate context is Paul is saying that, is saying that the law, there's nothing wrong with the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law that was given to the Jews, there's nothing wrong with it. What's wrong with us is that we don't keep it is that our flesh, our sinful desire, our, our desire to do what is evil, that's what's wrong. Is that we have an inner Adam, won't you say, that, that's not willing to keep this law. We constantly disobey God. But just immediately in this context, it's talking about the law and how even though we did not keep the law, even though we disobey God, by the grace of God, He still gives us. He still gives us His Spirit and he puts it in us and it dwells in us. And we, come, we become the modern temple of God today where God is living amongst us, his church, his people. And by the grace of God, not through our works, by the grace of God, we've been able to have this gift called the Holy Spirit dwell within us, amen? The Spirit is talked about so much in chapter eight, so much. And I wanted to zone in again. I wanted to zone in on verses 14 through 17 to bring out some ideas how much the Spirit of God is really working hard among us. First thing I want to be able to emphasize in verse 14, this is what it says. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I want to be able to talk about first and foremost that the way the Spirit works hard is that the Spirit leads us. He's leading us. He's guiding us. And the thing you got to ask yourself, or the thing I ask myself, is what exactly 
is the Spirit of God doing in his leadership in our life? What is he doing? Well, if you look at the first word there in verse 14, it says for, which means it's a continuation of what Paul is saying in, 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 verse, in verse number 13. For the Spirit of God is leading us so that we can put to death the misdeeds in our body, in our flesh. That's what the Spirit's doing. The Spirit's leading us to a place where we can extinguish, we can kill, we can get rid of the fleshly evil desires, the misdeeds in our body that is hostile to God. That's what really the Spirit of God is doing for us today. It's like, I don't know, I don't know if it's like, but what I thought about when I read this, it's like a, it's like, it's like a bounty hunter leading us on a manhunt to extinguish an enemy. And the enemy is our sinful desire. And he wants us to put it to death. He's leading us to be able to get rid of it, to exterminate it, to, to eradicate it. And how does the Spirit of God do this? Well, towards the end of verse 13, it talks about how the Spirit's leadership simply puts it, 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 it wants us to put it to death so we can live. You know, when I, when I think of this, I think about the way and the manner in which the Spirit does this. It does this with conviction. It leads us in a sense of deep conviction and helping us to understand that this is a matter of life and death. And, you know, I don't want to be grisly for the sake of being grisly, but this, this, is, this is a matter of war here. That the flesh is leading us to spiritual death, but the spirit is leading us to life in God so that we can have that inheritance, that future glory with him. You know, if you don't know what the misdeeds of the body are, you can check out different scriptures like Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. You can read all the way down to verse 20, 21. Another great scripture to help us identify what the misdeeds, the acts of the flesh is, is in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. But here you're going to find different acts, different natures of the flesh, which is evil. Things like sexual immorality, things like greed, hatred, fits of rage, drunkenness, different things like this, things that are obvious, things that were not, that is not great. I mean, when we think about misdeeds, when we think about evil things, it shouldn't be great to us. It shouldn't be this thing where we're like, oh, I don't really know what, what, what sin is or flesh is. We do know, guys. God has made it clear to us. Even if you don't know too much about the Bible, Scripture says that He's put it on our hearts, that He's etched it on our minds, that we, we know the moral understandings of God. That way, when we come to the Bible and we actually read it, we're like, yeah, I'm guilty. That makes sense. I've done those things. I remember feeling that way when I first started studying the Bible. When I actually read it for myself, I'm like, man, I'm guilty. I've definitely done all those things. I know exactly what that's talking about. And I have nowhere to run. But that's the things that the Spirit of God is trying to save you from. He's trying to put those things to death so you can live. This is a matter of life and death. And He is leading us so that we can be the children of God, as it's saying. The Spirit's leading us with conviction. He's leading us with conviction so we can put these things to death. What, what does it feel like? Well, if I could imagine, and I can only even share from my own personal experience, is that I think 
one way you understand the way in which the Spirit leads you with conviction is when maybe you actually sinned and you fell short and you've done something that you know is wrong in God's sight. And it's just grieving you. It's heavy laden on your mind where you look back and you think, man, like, why did I do that yesterday? Why did I, why did I click on that website? Why did I talk to my wife like that? Why did, I, why did I have a fit of rage? Why did I do this? Why did I do that? And it's the spirit of God pressing up on your heart to let you know that you are mine. You're mine and I want you to do right and I want you to live. I don't want you to die in your sin. And it's the spirit of God teaching us, teaching us to hate what is evil and to cling on to what is good. And he's really saying that I care about you. I love you. You're mine. And I want you to live in God because you're a child. I guess a way I could really illustrate this even more so of this being led by God is in, is it turning to a scripture in Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 3, excuse me. In Hebrews chapter 3, yeah, please turn to your Bibles. I, I didn't put it up there for a reason. I want you guys to turn for a second. A little bit different this week. In Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, Look at this little snippet of what Paul says that I think can give us insight of really understanding uh, where our hearts are at in comparison to the Spirit of God leading us. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called yesterday. No, 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 today. As long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. Paul uses these words to describe not just us, but actually Israel. You see, when Israel was going out of the slavery of Egypt and going through the wilderness towards the promised land, some of them started to turn back to Egypt and saying, man, why is God leading us through the desert? Why he's just giving us breads and bird for eat? Uh, we had so much leeks and garlic and all these kind of good things in Egypt and whatnot, and we was taken care of over there. And their hearts turned away from the living God. They stopped trusting, they stopped believing in the good promises of God. And the, bro, it's similar to us today that we can get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We don't turn back to Egypt. We turn back to the world in our hearts. We think that the world has something to offer us. We think that the world has something to give us, but really it doesn't. So where this comes in of encouragement is we gotta remind each other. We gotta, we gotta lift each other's arms up and let each other know like, hey, we have it good in the kingdom of God. We have it good as children of God. We have it, we have the promises of God himself, that we're his children. He wants to take care of us. He wants to bless us. We have an inheritance with God. And we got to encourage one another once a week. No, 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 no. Daily. We need daily. I need daily encouragement. I know you need daily encouragement. We need it. What the encouragement does, it softens our heart towards God. And it reminds us that the world doesn't have, we don't have a place in the world. That we have a place in the kingdom of God a true place. And that's where we can find significance. And that's where we can find answers, not in Egypt, not in the world. 
how are you doing? How are you doing in terms of following the Spirit's lead in your life? It's going to take encouragement, like I said, multiple times already, daily encouragement. Not only you receiving encouragement, but you actually giving encouragement. Because when you give encouragement, it actually reaffirms some things in you that you already believe. It actually solidifies your faith when you remind somebody, hey, we got it good in the kingdom of God. And he's going to bless us if we keep on this trail, if we keep on this track. Solidifies us. We got to give we got to take, we got to give, and we got to take encouragement. It softens our hearts. It keeps us from not being tempted to trust or to mistrust the Spirit's leadership in our life. We got to fight the temptation to not go back into the world. We got to build each other up. We got to be a people that build this community up so that we can be what God wants us to be. A community, a church, a people that is united by the Spirit of God so we can be a place where the Spirit of God actually dwells. Don't undermine the power of encouragement. Don't undermine it. Don't undermine the power of how your words can really lift somebody up. How your actions can lift somebody up. From as small as a phone call, to even smaller as writing a card of encouragement to somebody. It serves a greater purpose. It serves a purpose to like what I said, so that we can be the church of where the spirit of God dwells and God is glorified and we eagerly await the future glory inheritance we're gonna have with God one day. Amen. The spirit works in overtime, baby. He's working hard. He's working hard to help us and lead us to a place where we don't rely on the world. We don't look to our flesh. He's leading us to a place where we can kill that evil desire. And we can get a lot of encouragement from one another along the way so we can be a dwelling place for God. Second point, I wanna be able to talk about how the spirit of God works overtime. It works hard for us. Is right there in verse 15. Romans chapter eight, verse 15. Give me a second. I got to turn there. Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive, you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, who? By the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. I want to be able to talk about how the spirit emancipates us, how the spirit sets us free. It liberates us. Notice how Paul says a negative statement to a positive statement. How he denies who we used to be and who we're not. And how he, he, he backgrounds us to who we are now. And how he affirms us to who we are through the Spirit now. Which, are, which is children of God. The Spirit you received... When he says, it means that the moment we were born again into the kingdom, God placed his spirit among us and it wasn't a spirit of slavery. And it wasn't a spirit of fear. In fact, it was quite the opposite. It was a spirit of sonship. And it was by way of that sonship that we cry out, Abba, Father. 
a word that is very intimate in its meaning. It's an Aramaic word that really kind of, if you were to match it today, it would be like a, an informal way of a, a son calling a father daddy. That's not what it means in Aramaic, that, but that would kind of be its equivalent today. It's a very intimate word, a word that says, God, I need you. I'm, I want to depend on you. I don't want to be gripped in my fear. I'm looking to you, God. You know, this idea of slavery is talking about bondage, needless to say, right? We think about slavery, you think about oppression, you think about bondage. Specifically here, how sin before Christ was our master. We were enslaved to it. And how this enslavement to this sin played into the feelings of fear. Bro, and, and, and this, is, this is super hard for me to interpret like to have interpretation with this. I spent, I spent a, a while trying to understand what it really means, this idea of slavery and fear. And honestly, I don't think it's meant to be played into too much because there's so much about sonship and adoption and Abba, Father, and all these good things that I think Paul wants us to focus on. But I will say this about slavery and fear. If I were to give this a shot, you know, back in Romans 8 verse 2, this is what Paul says. That through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That the idea of sin and death is attached to this word law. The word law means a complicated system. That, that sin and death has its own ties into complications. It's very unique within itself. It's very complicated. And it plays in, like I said, to this idea of fear. And even, even the thought of fear, even that word fear, is deeply philosophical and psychological and theological. But I will say that fear plays into bondage. That systems of oppression play into fear. And it keeps people frozen in that system. And it's very real. Fear is very real. Though we don't have to give it our energy, still in the mind of someone who is stuck and afraid, those feelings of fear is very real. And it's worth to be acknowledged. It sucks the hope. It sucks hope out of somebody. It sucks the hope of understanding and seeing that there's something greater in the future than just right now. That within the, the mess that I'm stuck in, within the, the place that I'm in, that there's something better. Fear blinds us from seeing that. You know, what's encouraging is the battle cry. The battle cry that I read of here that comes from us that comes from the spirit that cries out against feelings of fear is Abba, Father. Is the spirit leading us to a place of recognizing that God is our helper, that God is there for us through instances of suffering that God wants to support us. He wants to lift us out, out of the ashes. Notice how it doesn't simply say that by the spirit, we say Abba, Father. It doesn't say that. It doesn't simply say, we say Abba. No, it says, we cry out, Abba, Father. We cry out. 
we moan, we groan to God saying, we need you, God. We need you, our Father. Because that's what the Spirit is trying to guide us to do. It's trying to guide us to a place of intimacy and connection and dependence with God. That no longer are you a slave to fear. But no, through the Spirit, you're a child of God that desires deep connection and intimacy with God. Not a slave, you're a son. You're not a slave, you are a son. You are a daughter, you are a child of God. In Mark chapter 6, I think about this instance in Jesus' life on earth. Sorry, Mark chapter 14, in verse 36. This is Jesus talking. He said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. I think of how Jesus' cry out to Abba, Father, is so significant here. Why not just Father? But instead, Abba, Father, showing that he was definitely in a sign of distress. He was, in a, he was in a time of suffering where he's pleading to God that God would take away the cup, meaning he would take away a situation he's about to go in and replace it with something else. So you see him surrender and get to a place of submission to God's will because he wants God's will to be done. But I think of this plea as a father, and I see Jesus here and how crying out to Abba Father helps him deal. It helps him to deal with his fear of going before a God that can have nothing to do with sin. Because this is right before Jesus was going to get hung on the cross. And he's, he's asking God to take this situation away because he knows how holy and righteous his Father is and that he can have nothing to do with sin. And we know when Jesus died on the cross... He was taking upon the sins of the world and God was going to forsake him. And he was afraid. Jesus was afraid to be separated from his heavenly father. Yes, he was probably afraid to die, but even more so, he was afraid to be away from his God that he knew his entire existence, the God he was connected to since eternity. And he was surrendering his fear to God in a time of suffering saying, Abba, Father, and I think about my kids. I think about Kaliko boy. You know, Kupu can't talk yet, yeah? But Kaliko boy, when he falls down or he's tired or, I don't know, he hurts himself. He, he, he cries out, Daddy, Daddy. And there is nothing in me, nothing in me can stop me from getting to my kids if they cry out, Daddy. Nothing will stop me. And to see Jesus here, to see Jesus cry out to his dad, Dad, help me. Father, help me in this time of suffering and fear, moves my soul, it moves my heart. It moves me to get more intimate with God in heaven, with my Father in heaven. I mean, I can count on one hand how much times in this last, in this last month that I, I've, I've, I've prayed to God, Abba, Father, my dad, to connect with him. This drives me to be more connected to my Father in heaven. How is your connection with God going? How is your intimacy with God going? 
in a, especially in a time of suffering and struggle? Have you been able to break through those different challenges that really helps you and draws you in closer to depend and to say, God, I need you to just be with God as your father in heaven? Have you been able to break through? Some of you might be asking, what are those barriers that's, that's with, withholding me from, from really connecting with, with God on, on a deeper, more, uh, with, more intimate level? And I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And I want to encourage, I don't know what it might be for you, but I want to encourage you to, to be able to talk about those things with the, with the people around you, people that are close to you. It's like, why do I have such a hard time connecting with God? Why do I have such a hard time really seeing him as a father? And it might be different for each and every single one of us. Um, but I, I know that for me, it could just be my self-reliance, my pride, my arrogance, thinking that I have the strength to get me through times of suffering. And I want to argue with you, not, not argue with, but I want to persuade you that there is no better time. There's no better time. There is no better time than a time of suffering and struggle to connect with the one that sees everything that you're going through that knows everything that you're going through, that is able to comfort you in those times of discomfort. There's no better time to dig deep in your relationship with God than those times. The Spirit is working overtime. The Spirit is working extremely hard to not only set us free, but really to keep us in a place, in a place of freedom. He has set us free. If you're in Jesus, He's definitely set you free. What he's working really hard to help us to understand is as free people, we got to connect with our father. We got to be children of God. We got to go to him and express that freedom as Abba, Father, I love you. I need you. I want to connect with you. The last point I want to be able to talk about today in verse 17 through 18, back in Romans chapter 8, this is what it says. Sorry. Um, verses 16 through 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. The last thing I want to be able to emphasize to you about how hard the Spirit works is that the Spirit assures us it reassures us about what about knowing first and foremost that we're children of God I mean I've talked about it this whole time it's because it's it's littered it's littered in this passage verses 14 through 17 you're a child of God how because of the spirit you're a child of God why because of the spirit you're a child of God why because it testifies to your spirit what does that even mean well I I think from stunning it means like when the, when the Spirit of God is put in us through our baptism and through our conversion in Jesus Christ, that He convinces our inner person, our inner soul, that we are not only children of God, but He's deemed us worthy to be called children of God. That He, he removes, he, He's on a mission to extinguish any kind of doubt that you are a value child of God. He's on that mission. He's trying to remove every doubt in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, that God has called you and desires you and loves you as his child. That's what he's doing. He's reassuring those places of doubts in your body, in your soul, that you are 
his son. You are his daughter. You're his child. He's removing all doubt. He's connecting with you to help you to realize you're his children. But it goes on. It goes on to say, because we are his children, we're also co-heirs. You know, back in the day, you know, when I was barely reading the Bible, I was like, what does that mean, heir? Well, it (laughs) it just means like you're inheriting something. You know, like when... Um, you know, family members pass away and they inherit, they give an inheritance to their kids or their kids or that. That's what that means. Is that we're, because we're children of God, we're inheriting something from God. He's giving us something glorious and full of hope. Full of encouragement. What is it? Well, first and foremost is God. That we are inheriting God. Right there in verse 17, it says that we are inheriting, we're heirs of God. If you could turn to Genesis 15 real quick, I'll just show you something that he told Abraham quite a while ago. And it's something that really rings true for us today. And I think it's something that rings throughout the whole Bible, really. Is that we're on a mission to find our true inheritance in this life. And this is what he tells Abraham right there in verse 1. Genesis 15, verse 1. This is what he told Abraham. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. And I'm your very great reward. That from the beginning of time, God was talking to our forefather in the faith, Abram, that he was trying to instill in this guy, That God was his reward. His great reward. And God is our reward too. I mean, think about it, guys. If we gain the whole world and we do not have God, what is the point? What's the point of gaining the world if we don't have the one that created the world? If we can have everything we desire, everything that our heart desires that we want but we don't have the one that gave us those desires god what is the point do we even gain anything no we don't gain nothing if we don't have god because god is our reward and the whole scriptures is about that god is trying to redeem us to help us see like hey hey i'm i'm your treasure i'm your reward i am everything that you need everything that you desire. And he's trying to instill that in us. God, Jehovah, Yahweh, he is our reward. The second thing he's trying for uh, cause us to see as far as our inheritance is that we're going to inherit whatever Christ inherits. He says that we're co-heirs with Christ. Meaning we're going to inherit what Christ inherits. And what is that? What well, the answer is pretty big and it's pretty simple. Everything. Christ is going to inherit everything. I mean, it's not, everything is not that easy to spell out, right? I mean, how do you, how do you describe everything? Well, if you take a look in Philippians chapter 2, I'll, I'll give you an idea of maybe what this might be. Give you a deeper understanding in Philippians 2. 
Philippians 2, verse 9, it says, Therefore, God exalted him, who? Jesus. God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. We also see that a part of everything that Jesus is going to inherit, that he's also inheriting all authority on earth and in heaven. And that he really is, he really is the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's going to have all authority and every knee is going to bow at the name of Jesus. Whether they acknowledge him before that or not, that there's going to come a time that every knee is going to hit the ground and they're going to say that Jesus is Lord. Let's make sure we do that right now while we still have that time. Kind of a side note, but a very important note. Let's make sure that Jesus is Lord right now. But going back to this point, wow, some way, somehow, we're co-heirs with Christ. In this, in everything, and in all authority, we somehow share in His glory. I, I don't even know how far to describe how amazing that is. That through the Spirit of God, we are co-heirs with Christ. Sharing in this glorious hope. We really see from the beginning of the Bible that this is God's heart. That he was delighted to share his fullness with us. Even right back then into the garden. That he was dwelling with man and woman. But we chose sin. And since that time, he's been trying to redeem us. And the good news is that through the Spirit of God, we are redeemed children looking forward to even a greater hope, to be heirs of everything in this earth, co-heirs with Christ, and to share in His glory of authority with Him. And I want to tread easy here. I want to tread easy on really understanding this. We're not, we're not glorying in ourselves. We're glorying in the understanding that God has all of the authority. And through that, we get to praise him and honor him and be, be in worship with him. You know, simply, I think the application with this point, with the spirit leading us to a place where he assures us in knowing that we are children, we are core heirs, is how's your worship with God? I mean, it's kind of a big question, right? I don't know if you think about that from time to time. Like, when it comes to connecting with God and understanding the promises that you have guaranteed to you through Christ and by the Spirit, does it move you to a place of worship and saying, thank you, God. Thank you that somehow, through your grace, you have given me this opportunity to share in this glory with you. Simply put, at the end of verse 17, it says that if we indeed share in the sufferings, in his sufferings, in order that we might also share in his glory. It's a conditional statement. If you share in the sufferings of Christ in this world, you will share in that glory. But take ease in knowing that the Spirit of God is helping you 
to get to this place of future glory with God. He's guiding you. He's leading you. That's what we talked about today. He's working overtime. He's working hard. He's leading you away from sin, away from being back into the world, to putting to death those sinful desires, those evil deeds in the body, and pursuing who we are in Jesus by by the Spirit allowing us to understand that we're set free, we're liberated, we're emancipated. We're free from that life and we're called the children of God. And through that, he reassures us how the Spirit of God assures us that because we're children of God, but because we're sons and daughters of God, because we cry out, Abba, Father, that we are also inheritors of something amazing in the future that is beyond our understanding and is glorious in its nature. As we close today, I want to be able to encourage you that the Spirit of God is working overtime for your benefit, not only at your baptism, but also right now as we speak to bring you into this future glory. If you're doubting, if you have the Spirit of God, I really want to encourage you, like, this is crucial that you find answers to that. It's crucial to find answers if you actually have the Spirit of God in you. This is not to make you feel bad. This is not to make you feel guilted. This is to help you to understand that if you do not have the Spirit of God, you can have the Spirit of God. And He wants to give you this future with Almighty Father in Heaven. So please, please, please sit down with somebody to study the Bible. Reach out to us. Ask us, what does it mean to actually be someone who who has a spirit dwelling in them? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to live as if Jesus is Lord? We have answers for you through the scriptures. You don't have to take our word for it. You can look exactly for yourself. But please, if you have have questions, please reach out to us and we want to be able to help you. But as we close today, I want to encourage you that Christ through his compassion and through his mercy, has given us a spirit that leads, that liberates, and that assures us that we're children of God and we're inheriting something amazing in the future. I love you guys. Have a great Father's Day. To God be the glory. Amen.